good to be back with you this morning. Uh, you're in for a treat this morning as one of my really good friends, Leonce Crump, is going to be bringing the Word of God to us today. So, Leonce, you want to come on up, brother? A uh, little bit about Leonce. Uh, thanks, thankful uh, to the church that, that he and Brianna and their kids planted. Uh, you are not sitting on the ground right now. <laughs> they donated these chairs to us, um, and we thank them in a, in a video. But would you guys thank uh, Renovation Church for that? Yeah, yeah, huge, huge gift to us. A uh, little bit about Leonce, you know, before before he and Brianna uh, planted Renovation Church uh, in Atlanta, Leonce had a career in in, uh, in wrestling. He was an All-American wrestler in University of Oklahoma and uh, played in the NFL for a little bit. But the, the, the thing you need to know about Leonce, the most important thing about him is that he's a man after God's own heart and he's a great friend to your pastor. Um, and so uh, just been such an encourager to me. We actually... When the Lord was calling us to Atlanta, we happened to attend uh, the one-year anniversary of their church, uh, which was so amazing. They planted uh, renovation 11 years ago. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for Leonce now, and he's going to continue in our series, uh, Kingdom Culture, today. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for my brother Leonce and his family, uh, his, his four children that are here with us this morning. What a treat to finally have the Crump crew here with us. And so, Father... I pray that, um, Lord, that you would uh, you would embody you would you would you would inhabit Leonce as he preaches to us this morning, Father. Um, Father, that he would he would decrease and you would increase. Um, that your words would flow through him to our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and truth as we hear your word and it changes us. We pray that in Jesus' name, Amen. Certainly a treat. There we are to uh, be with you all today, and um, what a gift uh, to uh, have watched this come to fruition uh, over these years. I remember when Ryan first came and met with us in our Cherokee Street offices, I believe it was, and uh, he said, I want to plant a church, and I said, please don't. Uh, <laughs> unless, unless the Lord has completely constrained you to this calling, find something else to do. You are young, you are handsome, you have a nice voice, uh, go be an actor or something else that, uh, <laughs> that is not going to require you pour out your soul. And uh, he said, no, this is what God has called me to do, and I have to do it. And, uh, and here we are these many years later, and here you are in this beautiful space. And so um, thank you for the kindness, for the honor, uh, but I honor you, brother, in, in the great work that God has done here and uh, with your lovely wife and, and all that the Lord will continue to do. Uh, as Pastor Ryan said, we're going to continue today in the Kingdom Culture Series. And um, uh, in the last gathering, uh, uh, I believe it was Carte, Carte, uh, who I assume was black. Um, I'm just going to be honest. I was like, Carte? Oh, that's a brother. Um, and then I met him this morning and I was like, well, he is a brother, but from another mother. And... And, uh, and he shared with you all the very, very difficult topic of, of, of loving people who are difficult to love, uh, even, even loving your enemy. Truly, uh, it is one of the things that I wish Jesus had never said, right? Because it, it's easy to love those who are lovable. It's easy to love those who, uh, who love us. It's easy to love those who uh, do not cross our mental and emotional barriers and push us into dark places. But, but to love those that do not love well, well, that's not human, that's divine. And, and, and what we learn is that God's boundless grace, God's boundless grace frees our hearts to love boundlessly. 
Now today, uh, we're going to move from that monumental task, a divine spirit-given love, to challenging ourselves, to exploring our intentions, and, and, and indeed even exploring our hearts when we do good things in the world. And so, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, I think they're going to put it up on the screen for us as well. And I'm going to give just a little bit of an overview uh, to kind of give myself a lead-in to the text. Jesus began this instruction on the mount by portraying the Beatitudes as what? The essential nature of a Christian's character. And, and, and from there, he used two distinct metaphors of salt and light to intimate that Christians lived out of the character described there in the Beatitudes, that they should be an incredible influence for good, both illumination and preservation if you will, in the world. And now he continues to expand on that idea of, of Christian character and, and righteousness by challenging us not to simply be righteous, but to practice that righteousness in a tangible way. And that's what we're going to see here in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Uh, if you want to read along with me, hear the word of the Lord. Be careful not to practice your righteousness, or one translation you could say is your charitable giving. Don't practice your charitable giving in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, uh, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they will have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I want to read this uh, in, a, in a bit of a less high church version uh, just, just so that it can really soak in our hearts today. Examine your motives to make sure you're not showing off when you do good deeds. Sometimes you need to bring it down just a little bit to see what's being said only to be admired by others. Otherwise, you will lose your reward of the heavenly Father. So when you give to the poor, don't announce it or make a show of it to be seen by people like the hypocrites in the streets and in the marketplace. They've already received their reward. But when you demonstrate generosity, do it with pure motives and without drawing attention to yourself. Give secretly and your Father who sees all that you do will reward you openly. The word of the Lord, and you say with me, thanks be to God. Father, we pray now that you move in power through your word, that you hide me behind your hand. Father God, that whatever is done here today will be done in your spirit. I have nothing to offer these people. You have every ounce of riches and joy. And might we experience the abundance of your presence together now, no matter where we are in our journey with Jesus, toward Jesus, or away from Jesus. Would we be sure that today we've been face to face with the living God? We ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and the people of God said together, amen. amen. Uh, for many decades, the world's largest tobacco company, Philip Morris, uh, has been a generous contributor to charities in need. That in itself is a little bit of a dichotomy to me. Uh, they literally help to 
put a roof over the heads of a group of homeless teenagers as they built a homeless shelter itself. Several years ago now, when the Crossroads Shelter in East Lansing, Michigan ran out of money, Philip Morris donated $30,000 to help them finish the construction of a second new building. The director of that shelter went on to tell the story of Philip Morris's generosity in an ad campaign there in the local area that was paid for by, you guessed it, Philip Morris. Uh, In the ad, the director of the shelter says, and I quote, they helped me turn a homeless shelter into a home. The announcer on the ad follows her declaration saying, working to make a difference, the people of Philip Morris. See, that's what you should have done. Um, The ad was one of six similar ads, then run nationwide. But what the ad could not tell you, this is fascinating, is that Philip Morris, don't miss this, spent more money to publicize the good deeds they'd done than on the deeds themselves. I was a little shocked by that. In fact, I had to take a moment to let it settle in my mind that that the cost to tell the world what they did exceeded the value of the thing they actually did. In fact, that year the company spent $115 million on charity, and then they spent $150 million telling people about it. When asked why, well, their response was direct, and I appreciated that. Uh, If you're an Enneagram person, I'm an Enneagram 8, and, um, well, we're dangerous people and overtly sensitive, but that's a different conversation. When asked why, their response was direct. We think it's very important for people to know more, watch this, about us. Now, amidst all the challenges with this story, and there are several, can we allow that last line to just sit with us for a moment? They're going to put it up so we can just see it in print. We think that it is very important for people to know more, not about what we did, not about the people we served, not about the outcomes, not, not about the change, not about the difference, but about us, about us, about us. That's what's important, that they know about us. Or we could say it this way. We we think it is important for people to know who we are and the good that we've done. And it is astronomical. Why not just spend the $150 million on more charity rather than on telling people about the charity that you've done? To be clear, though, the issue here is not advertising. Advertising is not wrong. I don't don't want the business leaders or business owners in here to think that it's wrong for you to tell the world about uh, your business. It's not wrong for the church to let people know, here we are. We want to serve you. We want to meet you where you are. Advertising is not wrong. The issue is the gross amount of money spent on bragging about what you accomplished in the midst of what you accomplished. Now, It'd be really easy for us as individuals to look at the big company and say that's what big companies do and that's what people in the world do and that's what goes on out there and and, and we can feel very righteous within ourselves. And yet if we're honest, if we're honest, or at least I'll be honest, um, every one of us, we enjoy being recognized and rewarded for the good that we do. Am I telling the truth? And I know y'all Presbyterians, so you can talk back to me. Okay, I'm Presbyterian too with a smidge of charismatic. It's a wonderful life to live. (laughs) Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest just, just for the next 20 or so minutes. We all enjoy being recognized for the good. We do, we do. 
In fact, the idea of, of recognition, the idea of being seen, the idea of being known, it is actually the very crux of social media. How many likes will I get today? I don't know. It depends on the timing and the content and the people who follow you. And if they're interested in you that week or somebody else. Oh, gosh. And then when you're a pastor, well, you don't even have a platform until you have a certain number of followers on social media. And so some of us, some of us spend more time cultivating our social media accounts than we do in the Word of God. It's a human condition. On our best days, we quietly soak it up. Any INTJs out there? People don't know. There we go. There's three of us. We won't talk to any of you after the service. Um, we quietly soak it up, right? We feel it in our hearts. We may not say it out loud. We keep our pride close to the chest. You extroverts, you can't help yourself. God's going to heal you of that. Um, that's on our best days. On our worst days, on our worst days, we make sure that people know the change we're making for other people's sake. Now, we don't have $150 million to fund it, maybe. But we advertise through conversations. We advertise through social media. We advertise through subtle name drops. We, we're often sure to snap the right picture at the right time with the right people doing the right things. And every single person is guilty of doing so. Every single person in the world is guilty of doing so, myself included. But, but is that what God desires from his people? That's the question. And the answer is clear. You see, here in Matthew 6, Jesus seems emphatic that in the kingdom, in kingdom culture, listen, it's not about what you do, it's about why you do what you do. It's not about what you do. It's about why you do what you do. Why we do what we do matters to God. It's not about the action. It is about the heart behind the action. It is not about the outcome. It is about the motivation for the outcome. It's not about the change. It is about the motivation for the change. Can I preach a little bit? And I'm not asking you if I'm good at it. That, that's, a, that's an African-American euphemism saying, may I go further. You see, if we're not careful, family, to guard our hearts, we'll go to Honduras, we'll go across the world, we'll build a shelter, we'll take care of poor people. And all along, what's growing in our heart is a pride of what we've accomplished. Rather than the delight of reflecting the heart of God. What's that? In which direction? The spirit don't sound like that. No. I just wonder. We have the Air Force Base by us, and I was like, oh, y'all got that too? I think I'm atta under attack every single Sunday. This is no lie. I'm like, Russia's finally done it, guys. We got to. <laughs> in the kingdom, in the kingdom, righteous deeds, charitable deeds, good deeds. Well, they're not done for the applause of people. They're done for the reward of the Father. And distinguishing the two, distinguishing the two, well, that's what ultimately makes us distinctly Christian. Now, Jesus begins here in verse 1, if you want to follow along, saying beware or, 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 or be careful. 
guard your heart. Guard your heart. Do not allow yourself to, to practice charitable giving, to, to practice any righteous act, really, in a way that puts you on display. Check your motives. And be sure that, that you are not seeking to be admired by the onlookers. Why? Because Jesus says if you practice your righteousness in a way to be seen, then you risk losing the reward of greatest value, that which comes from the heavenly Father. These are strong words. And if you have journeyed through uh, the 18 weeks of this sermon series in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, then, then those words may even feel contradictory. What do you mean, Pastor? I'm going to tell you. Didn't Jesus say earlier in this same teaching moment, let your light shine before men? Didn't he say that? That's where you say yes. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Wow, Jesus. Are you contradicting yourself? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He said that. And yet, only a few moments later, because this is one sermon, you think church is long now? Oh, no. This is one long sermon. And only a few moments later, there's a sudden shift. Let your light shine before others. Be careful not to practice your charitable giving in front of others. I'm confused. I'm a little thrown off. Jesus, which of these things would you like me to do? Why is there? That's why you got to read your Bible. You got to read your Bible. I feel like I say this every week in my church. I say, read your Bible. Y'all ain't reading your Bible. This can't be the only time you eat at the table. Because how you get twisted up. So why the difference? Now, we know that the Bible says that God is not a man, that he should lie. Right? We know that. So if God is not a man, that he should lie. And if Jesus is God, then, then there is no conceivable way that he's actually contradicting his own words of the same sermon. I might do that. <laughs> Only because I've had several concussions, so you got to forgive me. Sports does that to you. Things slow down. But what is Jesus saying here? Why the difference? How do these two ideas square with one another? If people are supposed to see my good works, but I'm supposed to give careful attention to not practicing my good works in front of other people, then how will I let my light shine through my good works? Well, the key here is one word. We already covered it. I'm going to hit it a hundred times. The key word here is why. Why? You see, Jesus' call to beware is a call to his followers to search themselves and ask the question, why do I do what I do when I do what God requires? That's important, especially if you grew up in church. See, I didn't grow up in church, so, so I didn't know how to be a Christian. Imagine having to have pastored me in my 20s. I'm like, wait a minute. I can't come straight from the club to church? Why not? At least I came. Like, this is literally how I used to think. So I didn't know 
especially in the South, I didn't know how to look Christian. (laughs) And we're good at that down here. In fact, we can do all the right things with the wrong motives and feel good about it. And that's what Jesus is on about here. Am I doing this? Here's the question. Here's the hard question you need to ask yourself next time you're overseas before you snap that pose for the gram. And I'm not judging. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm like, surround me, little children. Make me look like the helpful giant that I am. Right? Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Am I doing this to be seen? Am I doing this for recognition? Am I doing it for applause? Am I doing it? Here's the most insidious part. Watch this. Am I doing it? Because I derive my sense of worth from what I'm doing and the praise of people rather than just enjoying the presence of God. Why am I doing it? You see that last one? Well, that's a vital question in the social media era, isn't it? That's a vital question. Where where likes on our posts carry as much dopamine hit response as Vegas slot machines. Did you know that? That's why you like it. Because it triggers something in your brain. I like how that feels. So I'm going to do it again. 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 There's science behind this. There's a dopamine response, jumps into your neuroreceptors, makes you feel like you got a little high, and so you do it again and again and again and again and again because you want to feel that feeling, and eventually that feeling turns into value, and that value turns into worth, and that worth turns into identity, and now who you are is more shaped by onlookers than by your father in heaven. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. So it's not a matter then of doing righteous deeds. He wants you to do those. Our good acts, our acts of kindness or devotion, Jesus presumes that anyone who follows him will do these things. Rather, he challenges us to search our hearts every single time and ask why. Now, what he's going to do, he's going to illustrate his point through three paragraphs that follow nearly an identical pattern, starting with financial generosity. The other two you'll hear covered in next week's gathering. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, sound no trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Note that there is no if here. That's important. There's no if here. The expectation of Jesus is that his people will be generous. Amen? The expectation of Jesus is that his people will be socially engaged. Can I get an amen on that? All right, that's a little more, that's a little more dicey. The expectation of Jesus is that his people will take care of the vulnerable, the poor, those who often cannot defend themselves. So there is no if but when. You know, he also says the same thing about fasting, which is something else we don't really do a lot of, but that's not this sermon next time. (laughs) When you give to the needy, 
Do it in a way as to not purposefully draw attention to yourself. Imagine, if you would, for a moment, that you're walking down the street. Coming toward you is a great procession of trumpet players. This is what the picture that Jesus is trying to paint. A great procession of trumpet players. And they are, they are brightly dressed and they are blowing loudly. And a crowd is beginning to gather around them. And through a small scene between the crowd, you see one man walking proudly. And he's got his chest out and his head high. And, and he's waving a couple of thousand dollars around in his hand. And he announces as the procession passes that he is off to relieve the hunger of those who cannot feed themselves. Oh, these people are not those with whom he has a formal relationship. He just feels motivated to do it for them as the trumpet players play. It's this heart posture that Jesus had in view. Now, scholars disagree as to whether the Pharisees sometimes literally did this. Or if Jesus was caricaturing their frequent public cries for attention around their righteous acts, but it doesn't matter. What is in view is that Jesus believes that any display of generosity driven by a desire to be esteemed by people is akin to this level of applause seeking. And so he says of this terrifyingly, they have received their reward. They have what they want. It is the applause of people that they were so greedily working for. It is theirs, and they will have nothing more. But again, for us, for his people, his expectation is that when we give, when we serve, when we do, when we go, when we act, that we would sound no trumpet, look for no applause, look for no praise from people. We are not like the hypocrites. That's what they do. They sound the alarm and say, look at me. In fact, did you know that that Greek word, they're hypocrites, literally means actor? That's what it means. It means actor. Jesus is so precise. <laughs> These people who seek applause, watch this, they are acting righteous. You and I, if we are followers of the way of Jesus, we are supposed to be righteous. So instead of acting, instead of putting on a show, instead of, listen, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What in the world does that mean? Don't act like you've never asked that question. You don't have a Strong's Bible commentary at your house. And Google's not going to answer that one for you. What does that mean? He means that not only, and this is where I'm talking to the other two INTJs in this room, um, he means that not only are we to avoid showing off to other people in either overt or subtle ways, but we're not even meant to show off to ourselves. That's why this is such a hard issue. Listen, so subtle, so subtle is the self-seeking of the human heart that it is possible to take great care in not letting other people know how you give or to whom you give or how you serve <clears throat> and to whom you provide service or how you're righteous and to whom you are righteous <clears throat> while simultaneously dwelling on it in your heart in a spirit of self-congratulation. You know what? I've been guilty of that. I'll say it. I've been good because now I'm a pastor. I know how I got to look. 
right? So I can't be like, yo, I'm out here killing it in this sermon, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Big shout out, New City family. Ain't never been preached at like that before. Like, I can't do that. Can't do that because I know better. But what I have been guilty of, is that my time? I'm sorry. All right. God bless you. You guys have a wonderful morning. Um, <laughs> what I have been guilty of, and, and, and I'm going to say this so that maybe you can be honest with yourself. What I have been guilty of is walking off the stage and thinking to myself, forgetting for a moment, for a moment, that if the Spirit of God doesn't rest on this moment, it means nothing that my talent cannot be someone's pathway into the kingdom, that my gifting is not what's actually altering the world, that it is God in and through, and that if it's not that, it's not his. So I'll say I've been guilty of that. I'm not very peacocky anymore. I'm too old. But boy, that quiet pat on the back. Man, you're getting better and better every year. Keep working on your craft, crumb. I've been guilty of that. And that's what Jesus is saying that it's quite possible for any of us to turn an act of mercy into an act of vanity. In fact, for that reason, the late John Stott, one of my favorite preachers, he said Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not self-congratulation. Now, it is not possible to keep complete anonymity every single time you give or do something, it's not possible. So how can Jesus say that your giving should be done in secret in verse four? How, how, how does he say that? How, how can he stand on that statement? Well, again, it is a statement of motive. Give as though no one could know and as though no one could congratulate. Or, or we could say it this way, giving may be seen but it is not done to be seen. And when you and I give with that attitude of ourselves, of our resources, of our time, of our presence, when we give with that attitude, God surely sees and he will reward us for it. Most importantly, with himself. But I believe, secondly, with the heavenly joy accompanied by generosity and often more resources with which we can be generous. I know this is, again, in our circles, this is dicey, but I'm going to read the Bible to you, okay? Because that's what I do, 2 Corinthians. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. You see this? He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. In other words, the more liberally generous we are, the more God is going to give us to be generous with. That's the way it works. That is kingdom math. And so at the heart of this section of Jesus' teaching, as you've heard me say 27 times now, is the question why? 
Why do we do what we do when we do what God requires? Whether, whether that is giving or fasting or praying or serving or singing or marching or petitioning or fighting for justice, why? To be seen or to be honored and have the honor of God as one of his children. Because in the end, in the end, defining our why is what ties it all together. Here's what I mean by that. Righteous deeds are either seen or done to be seen. You following me? Righteous deeds are either seen, meaning you do them with no care or intent on who sees what, and God is honored. Or they're done to be seen, and God is dishonored. And our reward is at risk. Distinguishing the difference is what makes any act of kindness, of good, or devotion distinctly Christian or not. There's, um, there's an incredibly interesting twist to all of this. That even if we are guilty of practicing our righteousness in an effort to be seen by others, you know, it's still not about them. It's not about those people. No, it's about us. Another quote from Dr. Jones uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, that our only reason for pleasing people around us is that we may please ourselves. That's it. That's it. And the remedy then is that we must be less dwelling on ourselves and more dwelling on God. Or again, I love quotes, we must become so conscious of God that we cease to be self-conscious. You know, even self-consciousness is a form of pride. But again, that's a, another message for another day. And the only way to do this, family, the only way to do this is to fix our eyes on Jesus as our great hope. Fix our eyes on Jesus as our great hope and taking our eyes off of ourselves. He is the only one who deserves to be seen and known, revered and regarded, and yet it is he is the only one who deserves to be seen and known, revered and regarded. It is he that the Bible says did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. He who gave up his prerogative for glory through a shame-filled death on a Roman cross. He who in rising from death invited all who put their eyes on him and off of themselves, their trust in him and out of themselves, invited him, them into his own glory, into his eternal life, into community with God and with his people. And the beautiful part about that is he doesn't require us to sort ourselves out. He says, come as you are. I'll shape you as you should be. I'll shape you as you should be. Now, two things as we close our time. If you're not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, I would be remiss in not extending this invitation to you. That you don't have to live in a and a constant sense of self-consciousness or self-congratulation that pulls you from one pole to another. No, you can live in a divine confidence that does not require anybody to find your identity except he who made you. And his invitation is sure. Accept his love and leadership. Accept the gift of his righteousness. Accept the gift of his new life. And I promise you, you'll be more alive than you've ever been. And maybe that's your next step here today. 
that during this last song, you are going to receive Jesus as your Savior. If you do that, please let somebody know Christianity is not a solo sport. It's meant to be lived in community. And for those of you who are followers of the way of Jesus, I want to invite you to take a next step as well. And it's going to be a hard one. And it's going to cost you something. I want you to confess your need for applause. We all struggle with this. It, it is just the blatant, honest truth. We do. And as long as you pretend like you don't, you can't heal. And if you can't heal, guess what? You can't be free. There is nothing more grievous to me than someone who is saved and not free. Saved, but still bound. That's not abundant life. And God has abundant life for you. And when you are prepared to confess your need for applause, I've written a little prayer that I would love for us to pray together every morning over this next week. It's very simple. You'd be surprised how complicated we make prayer. Again, another message, another day. You know my favorite prayer in the Bible? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That would carry you through every day. But here's one that I offer that I'll be praying every morning this week, and I invite you to do the same. Lord, help me love you and others from a pure place. Boy, doesn't that just cover the gambit? Help me love you and others from a pure place. And in the end, there's a selfish gift that we get. Here's your ROI, your value add. We get freedom from people's opinions of us. Anybody want a little bit of that? The rest of you? Keep lying to me, it's okay. I'm going to love you from a pure place. <laughs> we get freedom from people's opinions of us. In fact, can you imagine what it would be like to be unconcerned with what other people think about you? Think about your work, your clothes, your hair, your words. Can you imagine what it would be like to be so consumed with God's delight in you that what other people thought about what you did water off a duck's back. Can you imagine how powerful the church would be? What an agent for change she would be if she was filled with people who were so preoccupied with the opinion of God that the opinion of people actually found their proper place. I tell you what, if we are able to become those people, if we are able to become those people right here in Lawrenceville, Renovation Church over in Atlanta, then we might actually see a move of God in our generation. I believe that, and that's what I'm hoping for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today and for the power of your word. Thank you for the transformative nature of your word. Thank you for the great gift of grace in Christ Jesus. Thank you that even when Jesus gives us hard words, he meets us with a tender heart. And I pray today that we will experience the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our lives, through the recesses of this church, until your kingdom breaks in fully. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating 
the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.